longer you take, the more that come in. When your back's against the wall And your mountain seems so tall And you realize life's not always fair You can run away and hide Let the old man decide Or you can change your circumstances with a prayer when everything falls apart praise his name when you have a broken heart raise your hands and say lord you're all i need you're everything to me and he'll take the pain away when it feels you're all alone praise his name and when you think you can't go on raise your hands and say greater is he that is within me and you can praise the hurt away if you'll just praise his name can overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the words of your testimony. You'll see the darkness go as your faith begins to grow. You're not alone, so how can you be lonely? When everything falls apart Praise His name When you have a broken heart Raise your hands and say Lord, you're all I need You're everything to me And He'll take the pain away when it seems as you're all alone praise his name and when you feel you can't go on raise your hands and say greater is he that is within me and you can praise the hurt away
if you just praise his name. We're here, Lord, tonight just to praise your name. You know, that song and my husband's testimony are tied tight because we were going through a really hard time in our lives the first time I heard that song. And it's just stuck with me, and that's been over 20 years, maybe 25 years, that God's reminded me, no matter what life throws at me, He's still in charge, and I'm still going to praise Him because He's going to work it all out in the long run. Doesn't matter what life throws at us, God's in control. Sometimes this world doesn't look at, like it, but we've got to praise Him through the hard times, through the good times, because we can't control it anyway. We might as well give it all to Jesus. Robert? Well, thank you for being here tonight on a hot Wednesday uh, evening. Grateful that you could be here. And I'm thankful for air conditioning, aren't you? I'm telling you. It was so muggy. My wife went on the deck last night for something. She says, like pea soup out there. I said, what does that mean? She said, it's just hard to breathe. So, Anyway, thank you for being here tonight. I hope that you picked up um, prayer sheet, prayer list as you came in. If not, I'll mention a few of these, and we can talk about them. If you have others that you want to add, then we can do that. Um, we want to pray for John Carney, who had knee surgery. I understand he's at home and doing well, but not wanting to take his pain meds, he said. So kind of fussing about that. So continue to pray for him for a total and complete recovery. On your prayer list, you see a lot of folks, who, most of whom I don't know, but we certainly want to pray for any of them, not to minimize any of the situations there. Those who've lost loved ones, those that are shut in, those that are facing uh, all sorts of illness and surgery and situations. And as we pray tonight, let's don't forget to pray for the caregivers, those that are hurting and suffering have a hard time, but those who are caring for them as well, pray that God will give them strength and patience and encouragement as well. So ask that you'd lead, uh, pray for them. Uh, in a, a personal prayer request, would you pray with me for a missionary couple uh, that ha has had to return from Peru because of uh, Robert Smith, who's a missionary, and his wife, Kathy. And Kathy, by the way, is my wife's first cousin. But Robert and Kathy had to return from Peru. He had developed some heart issues and uh, uh, had to return home. Hopefully, he can be treated and be back on the field. But pray for them. They spent their entire adult life, actually, as missionaries in Peru, raised their children in Peru. And so they were home once before, and I talked with him, and he said that he feels, actually, he says it's hard to explain this, but he feels more at home there than he does here because having been gone for so long to uh, Peru, he comes back here, and 
uh, it's not the same country he remembered as when he left where he grew up. So anyway, pray for Robert Smith as he deals with some heart issues. And in God's grace that he would be able to return to his field of service in Peru. Uh, you'll see other requests there. Pray for our schools. The kids will be going back in Pickens County, August 2nd. Is that right? Wow, that's way too early to suit me. Um, and, and the Anderson County, a little bit later than that. But uh, pray for the students and the teachers and the uh, staff and the administration, the bus drivers, all that. Um, so let's lift them to the Lord in prayer. I wonder if you have a spoken request tonight you'd like to mention for us to pray about. Her name is Ruth Craig in hospice care, 98 years old. Let's remember her in prayer. Pray for her family as well. Other prayer requests? A little bit. Oh, my. So your cousin had a bull accident, <laughs> pinned by a bull, broke some ribs and all that. It's amazing he survived it. I mean, so those are big animals. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah. Now he's at home. He's at home. Other prayer requests? All right, let's pray together tonight. Father, we thank you and we praise you for who you are. Lord, we know that we are invited to come boldly before the throne of grace and that you are very aware of our needs even before we ask. But we come asking as an exercise of faith, growing our faith, expressing our confidence in you to meet every need. Lord, we pray tonight for the names of the ones who have been mentioned here in the building. We pray for the ones who are listed on our prayer sheet. And I lift before you all those needs who may not have been mentioned here tonight nor on the prayer sheet, but they're known to you. We pray that you would lift, that you would lift their burden and ease their pain, give them healing and health, be with their caregivers. Lord, I pray you do it in such a way that you might be glorified and praised. We ask tonight that you be the students who are preparing to go back to school very soon. Be with every teacher, every administrator, and every helper, and the bus drivers, and the parents. Lord, I pray that this will be a good school year for them, that you keep them safe. But Lord, I pray in all of their academic learning and their academic growing, that they might grow in their knowledge and awareness of you. Lord, I pray tonight for 
uh, our time of Bible study. As we look into your word in just a few minutes, we pray that you'd make our time profitable. Give us understanding. Speak through your spirit, through the word, to our heart and to our lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we started last night this little study of some of the, uh, what I was calling most, most important dates in the Old Testament. And I still have some of those handouts if anybody needs one. Anybody need one of those handouts? I have a few left. All right. All right. All right, now say that I was rattling paper and I'm sorry to hear you. Uh-huh. Yeah, let's pray for him. Yeah. So we started last Wednesday night on these important events in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is important because uh, it helps us to understand the New Testament. The truth of the New Testament is first revealed in the Old Testament and then fully explained in the New Testament. And so it's important that we understand this. And the first 11 chapters of Genesis are crucially and critically important to our understanding because every major doctrine in Scripture is first mentioned in the book of Genesis. And so we want to look at some of these. Now last week we looked at the creation, Adam and Eve, the fall of man, the promise of the Redeemer. We looked at several of those things and discussed that for a while. Now tonight, Lord willing and allowing us the time, I want to look at two more events that are very important we want to look at the flood and then the Tower of Babel. There are a whole lot of things on this list that we'll talk about and we would talk about had we the time together to do it. But I hope tonight I can at least touch on those two things and I'm sure that I won't be able to give either one the time that they deserve. But turn to the book of Genesis chapter 6. Now let me as you're turning, kindly bring you up to date Why? And, uh, and talk about the flood. So in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, 15, that's when Adam and Eve had sinned, and God encounters them in the Garden of Eden, and he's talking to them, Adam, why would you do this? Well, it was Eve's fault. Eve, why did you do it? It was the serpent's fault. So it begins with the serpent. In Genesis 3, 15, uh, he says this to them. I will put enmity between thy seed and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. Thou shalt bruise, and he shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The first mention of the Redeemer, the Messiah that would come. Now it's not fully explained, but it's at least mentioned here. So God made a provision, even in their sin, God made a way where the Adam and Eve and all of the human race that would follow them could become right with God. And so the mission of the Redeemer. So Adam and Eve came away from that event knowing they'd sinned, understanding that maybe not fully understanding, but at least somewhat understanding the consequences of their sin. But they came away with some hope that God would do something wonderful, something miraculous, and would send the Redeemer to restore, to fix, and put back 
what they had broken and what they had corrupted. So as you move through the book of Genesis then, uh, Adam and Eve begin to have their children. Now who was the first person born on the earth? Cain was the first. Abel, his brother, was second. So Adam and Eve had a child. His first child was named Cain. So look with me uh, in chapter 4 and verse 1. And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain. And said, now this is what Eve said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. So when Cain was born, and I've been with a lot of families in the birth of their children. It's been a joy in my life to sit with them, to watch, be with them, just rejoice with them when children came into the world. And I don't have time to tell you about some of those funny, funny events. But each one is different. And yet there are some similarities. So Eve has her firstborn. Cain, the first human being ever born on earth, and Eve said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. Now what Eve thought was this is God's provision. This is what he talked about in 315, his provision. Eve believed that Cain would be the one who would redeem and restore and put back what they had messed up. That's, what she, that's why she said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. You might read it this way I've gotten the one the man from the Lord because she really believed that this was going to be the redeemer and then we know in chapter 2 uh, verse 4 chapter 2 Abel is then born and she again bare his brother Abel now there are some commentators who believe that Cain and Abel might have been twins I don't know that that's accurate but there are some who suggest that because of the wording here because it says uh, Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bare Cain and then she bare Abel. There's no word of a second conception and so there's some say, well, maybe they were twins. I don't know if that's true or not. But anyway, now we have two boys, Cain and Abel. Now, God had told Adam and Eve, told Adam in particular, in the day that you sinned, that you eat this fruit, you will die. He died spiritually that day, but he had never seen death of any sort, of any kind. So now we move along, and it becomes apparent to Adam and Eve that Cain is not the Redeemer. He is not the, 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 the one who will um, bring back righteousness to the earth. So as they grow and they're older, uh, in the process of time, was well, it verse 2, Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Ne nothing wrong with either of those occupations. Verse 3, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought forth the fruit of the ground and offering unto the Lord. And Abel also brought uh, the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. So what happened is, as now because they knew uh, 
Adam, Adam has begun to teach them that they need to make sacrifice to God. It's their act of worship. And they need to bring a sacrifice to the Lord. Why did God have respect to Abel's offering, accept his offering, and not accept Cain's offering? I don't have time to go into all the details here, but just, just give you a little snippet. He accepted Abel's offering because it was a blood offering. He brought the sacrifice of a lamb, the sacrifice of an animal, and God accepted the blood sacrifice. Cain, on the other hand, brought the fruit of the ground of a sin-cursed earth, the fruit of the ground, which under the curse of God, and God says, no, Cain, you've you, you got to come my way. My way is through the blood sacrifice, not through the fruit of a sin-cursed earth. It wasn't that what he brought was unworthy. It was simply that he didn't bring sacrifice to God that was of God's standing. Uh, he didn't come God's way. God said the way to him is through the blood, not through the works of your hands. So Cain gets angry, kills his brother. Um, say a lot about that. Can, can you imagine what it was like when Adam and Eve began to look for Abel, he didn't come home for supper that night. Where was he? They began to look and maybe laying out there somewhere in the field, they saw the body of their son lying there with his head bashed in. There were no choirs to sing. There was no preacher to bring a consoling message. There was no body to come by and say, I'm sorry for your loss. They find the dead body of their son. Maybe Adam and Eve for the first time understood what God said when he said, uh, you'll bring death into the world. They saw it firsthand. Now what's going on here? Satan also heard the pronouncement of God that he was going to send a redeemer. And he was trying to arrange it. Satan was trying to arrange it so that folks would try to come to God some other way than through God's way. And now he has Cain to kill Abel. So they have a third child. What was the third son's name born to Adam and Eve? Seth. Seth became a very godly man walking in the light of the Lord he became a very godly person following Christ well let's move on into chapter 6 and some years have gone by some time has gone by so Adam and Eve then Cain and Abel then Abel is dead there's Cain and now there is uh, there is Seth and, and so Adam and Eve have other children sons and daughters and the population is growing. Now in chapter 6, we come to another important thing. And that is the exponential growth of wickedness on the earth. Verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. Mark that in verse 3. 
120 years. We'll come back to that in a minute. It's a very important statement there. There were giants in the earth in those days. Also, after that, when the sons of God came to the daughters of men and they bare them children, uh, they became men, mighty men, which were of old men of renown. God saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him in his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping things and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. So in verse 8, he tells Noah founds grace in the eyes of the Lord. He tells him in verse 14 to make an ark and to prepare for the flood, which is a worldwide flood. Now here's the question, ladies and gentlemen. Why did God send the flood to destroy all the people that were on the earth who were not inside the ark? Why did God send the flood? Why did God do that? Anybody want to take a guess? Nothing you say could be wrong. We all can think about that. Why do you think God sent the flood? Say it again. To cleanse the earth? Yeah. Say it again. The sins of the people on the earth? Yeah. All of that's true. But there's one specific reason. If you understand what's happening from Genesis 3.15... Abel's offering being accepted, Cain's not coming God's way. And now something happens between chapter 4 and chapter 6 that's worth significance. Now what happened here is that it says that uh, men began to marry uh, and the sons of God saw the daughters of men. Now that's a strange way maybe of saying that so what is God saying in his word when he says the sons of God saw the daughters of men and they took them wives and from that marriage uh, became a race of giants that were men of renown men of old that is they, they had knowledge and wisdom and power and, the, and huge in stature and huge in intellect the race of the sons of God and the daughters of men what's significant about that well, there are two main lines of thought as to what that means. There are many who believe, there are some who believe that the sons of God, so it's important to define who is, does he mean when he's talking about the sons of God. There are some who believe these are the godly descendants of Seth. Seth is that godly line of people on the earth. And there are many who believe that he's talking about believers marrying unbelievers. The sons of God saw the daughters of men. And there are a lot of Bible teachers who say this represents the godly folk intermarrying with the ungodly folk. Well, I can understand how that would be true, but it does explain how that offspring, how the result of that union produced a, a, a race of giants and men of huge stature, men of great intellect, and men of great wisdom and knowledge. It doesn't seem to fit. There are three places in Scripture where that same phrase is used, the sons of God. 
and in every place I'm going to give those to you it's in Job 1 6 Job 2 1 and Job 38 7 I'll give those to you again Job 1 6 and Job 2 1 and Job 38 7 that same phrase the sons of God is used and all three occasions in the book of Job where that's, that's the only place that other than here that that phrase is used it refers to angelic beings remember how Job begins the sons of God come before the Lord and the devil is with them he's one of the fallen angels by the way the fallen angel sons of God refers to angelic beings that's what the second line of interpretation is it refers to uh, angelic beings so angels angelic beings breed with human women and they produce a race of giants men of renown the scripture said men of great knowledge men of great power and authority now in the New Testament there are um, two places that support that interpretation in 2nd Peter chapter 2 we don't have time to turn there or I won't finish anything that I'm going to talk about in 2nd Peter chapter 2 beginning around verse 7 or so in there um, it talks about the angels who left not their first estate but enter bread and angels that fell and, and God cast them into the dungeon into the pits of hell so in 2nd Peter it talks about that in the book of Jude the book of Jude somebody's called the vestibule to the book of Revelation the book just before the Revelation this one chapter but in the book of Jude there are four five or six somewhere along with that of those verses it talks about the same thing that the angels who kept not their first estate so it is my belief that when John or when when Genesis talks about this the sons of God it refers to fallen angels angels that that corrupted their purpose of their being the angels that sinned with Lucifer in the beginning and came and interbred with human beings and the result was an offspring that was large in number and large in size men of great intellect and power and authority now why would that if that be the case why would Satan want to do that why would Satan want to produce this interbreeding and cause this uh, uh, mixed race between angels and humans to appear. Just as Satan tried to manipulate the offerings of Cain and Abel, Satan has tried and is trying to prevent folk from coming to know God. And it was Satan's plan to so pollute the human race, there will be no one on earth left through whom God could bring the Messiah if he could manipulate the inhabitants of the earth so that everybody is contaminated by this interbreeding Satan believed he could stop and thwart and prevent God from carrying out his promise in Genesis 
So God says, we'll see about that. So God said, I'm going to destroy the earth. He sent the flood. He sent the flood to destroy that, uh, those half-breeds. Let me say it that way. I mean no offense to anybody about that, but, but that's what he did. So when it comes to the flood then, God said to Noah, who was, Noah found grace in the eyes of Noah, his wife, his sons, and their wives were godly people. So he said, Noah, build an ark, because I'm going to send a flood and destroy the earth. Now back to that verse we read just a moment ago. God's saying, let's go back to that verse. Another thing that leads credence to the second interpretation I gave you. Verse 3, chapter 6, verse 3. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. So he says, He's flesh, he's, he's spirit and flesh. It's a mixture of what he's talking about there, I believe. Now look at that. Yet his days shall be 120 years. So God says, all right, I'm going to send a flood. In 120 years, I'm going to send a flood to cover the whole earth. So he said to Noah, start building the ark. So Noah got his sons together and said, here's what God said. And they started to work on that ark. Now, put yourself in that day. There had never been any such thing as rain on the earth. The Bible says God watered the earth with a dew that came up at night. Water had never fallen from the sky in what we call rain. Unknown. Folks said, you're crazy, Noah. Rain, what is that? What water's going to fall? You're crazy, Noah. Has never rained before. We, don't, we, we can't even imagine water falling from the sky. It comes up at night and waters the earth. Well, that's what God said he was going to do. They said, Noah, you're crazy. So Noah got the timber and all the stuff together according to God's plan and started working on that ark. A year went by. Can't you just see people will come out and say, after a year, a year had gone by, he's still working on, Noah, you said it's going to rain. And you, were, you wasted a year of your life and a year of the lives of your son. And a year, nothing has happened. Noah, you're, you're crazy. Two years, five years, ten years, fifty years went by. I can see him going out on Sunday afternoon, taking an afternoon drive and going out. I say, let's see what crazy Noah's doing. And he's still working on the ark. Fifty years he's been preaching, preacher of righteousness, the Bible says. For, for, he'd been talking about, Noah, you've lost your mind. And they would laugh and they would hoot and they would howl. You know they did. And so 75 years went by, 100 years went by, 120 years went by. Noah's getting to be an old man and his sons are now older. And he'd been preaching this for 120 years. And they said, Noah, you've lost. And they just hooted and laughed. You can see that happening. But the ark was finished now. Noah brought food on board. Let me have you to think with me about an imaginary couple, Sarah and Sam. Oh, Sarah and Sam have been out to see old Noah a few times, laughed, hooted, and howled about this crazy Noah. This old fundamentalist preacher, he's crazy. The week before the flood started, Sarah and Sam had been out maybe partying that night, got up with sort of a hangover headache, and maybe Sarah was standing at the sink, and she looks out, and she sees two giraffes running by. 
she blinked. She said, I didn't see what I just saw. And she looked, and there's two bears going down the road. Then, then two elephants. She calls Sam, and sure enough, there comes two other animals and two other animals. And all, a parade of animals going down the street, heading to the ark. Sam and Sarah looked at each other and said, that must be something crazy to know. He has trained these animals somehow to be doing that. Another week goes by. The animals are now on board. If you read the story, after the animals are on board, everything is ready. It's been 120 years, and God leaves the door open for one more week. They've had 120 years. God yet still waited one more. Anybody could have gone on there, but nobody did. Now it's the day before the flood starts. Sarah and Sam have been out partying again. They say to their two little children, Mom and Dad don't feel good. We're going to sleep in this morning. Y'all go outside and play quietly. We've got an awful headache. Just don't bother us. So the little children sitting outside playing, quietly as they could. They don't upset Mom and Daddy. they got a headache. All of a sudden, a drop of rain splat hits the little girl right on top of the head. She, what was that? She goes on to play another few minutes, another splat, another drop of rain. And then another drop of rain. She looks to her brother and says, What do you think that is? I don't know. And they start to get scared. And she said, Let's go we better go tell mom and daddy something. Going. You better not tell them. You just said they said, Don't wake them up. And so after a little while it's raining hard and it's really coming down. So they go tearing off inside. Mom and Daddy, come look, it's something going on. And water and but this time Sarah and Sam get up and they look out and rain is falling down just crazy. And, and by this time now, water's coming down. It's starting to run in the ditches and gullies and the yards. Noah. What did Noah say? They tried to remember. Sarah said, he said something about a flood. He said, no, what? He said it's going to rain and a flood. Maybe this is what he was talking about. But this time, water's up above their ankles. Now they're starting to get afraid. And they get their kids together. We, we better go see Noah. We better go find out. And so they get their, everything together. Maybe the rain is now up to his knees. And Sam's got his little daughter on his back, on his shoulders. And they're trying to get to the ark. And now water is up to their waist. And they get to the ark. And the door shut. Now if you read the story here in chapter 6. Noah didn't shut the door. God shut the door. When they get there, the door was closed. Can you imagine the banging, the screaming, the knocking, and then finally somebody else, another neighbor comes, then another neighbor, and by this time, uh, all kind of people have gathered around the heart, and the door is shut. And Noah, open the door, let us in. Noah can't open the door because he didn't shut the door. God shut the door. And now water's up to their chest up to their neck they're banging their claw on the inside Noah can hear that but there's he's power he's helpless to do anything and they're clawing they're begging and then all of a sudden gurgle gurgle and, and all the noise stops they're taken away with the flood I think that's a pretty picture pretty clear picture of really what happened If you talk to people today, 
In fact, I talked to a lady today in a restaurant. Another preacher and I were having lunch. And I said, we're going to pray for our food. Can I pray for you? No, I don't know. So I said, okay. And then she came in later, and I said, tell me, um, you go to church? No, I don't go to church anywhere. I began to try to talk to her about the Lord. She got, I don't want to hear this. I've heard this all my life. I don't want to hear it. She walked away. You try to talk to the people about the Lord today, and they'll treat you somewhat like the people in Noah's day did. I don't want to hear it. You've been preaching that stuff for 120 years. Noah, I don't want to hear it. It's fake. It's baloney, they would say. But that didn't change the truth of it. They believed not, the Bible says, until the flood came and took them all away. The reason God sent the flood is because of that Satan's effort to try to prevent the Messiah from coming. So God says, okay, I'll just save a, a family of folk, and anybody who wanted to could have come on the ark. Anybody who trusts me can come on the ark. Today the doors of the ark are open. Anybody can come to Jesus. Whosoever will, let him come, the Bible says. But one day the door of grace will be closed. Satan was trying to prevent God from keeping his word. You can put it like this. Every time Satan makes a move on a chessboard, God makes another move. Satan has to regroup. He has changed his strategy. So Satan makes a move. God makes a move. Let's bring that forward quickly, and time's just about gone here. Woo! It's way over time, I'm sorry. Um, Calvary. Jesus. When Jesus was on the earth, Satan tried innumerable times to kill Jesus before he got to the cross. There was one occasion where Jesus was preaching and Satan incited the mob to come and push Jesus over the cliff. You remember that story? And the Bible says that Jesus walked right through the angry crowd and they didn't lay a hand on him. Satan had incited the mob to kill Jesus by pushing him over a cliff. That didn't work. Satan said, i got to do something else. The Garden of Gethsemane. Satan said, well, I can't. I can't decide the mob. Maybe I can change his mind. In the garden. The biggest battle of Calvary happened in the garden of Gethsemane, not on the cross. By the time Gethsemane was over, the cross was already settled. Jesus prayed, Father, if there's some other way, let this cup pass from me. The cup was not his impending death. The cup Jesus spoke of was the fact that he would become sin. The spotless, sinless Son of God would bear our sins. And he said, Father, if so, there's some way to redeem mankind other than my becoming sin. He did not become sinful. Now, make a distinction. He did not become sinful. He became the very epitome of sin. Some other way, Lord, take it away. Jesus prayed. He went and wakened, awoke his disciples. Went back and prayed some more. The Bible says the sweat became as drops of blood. Lord, if there's some other way. And then finally he said, Lord, nevertheless not my will, but your will be done. 
and the battle was won. Satan had lost again. So then he incited the mob to come and arrest Jesus and crucify and put him on the cross. He thought when Satan put Jesus on the cross, they nailed him to the cross. Satan, if there is such a thing as a party in hell, I believe that Satan had a party in hell. I've won. I finally won. He's dead. I put him on the cross. I've won. But that was Friday. When Sunday came, Satan realized he had made another mistake. When Jesus began to breathe and the stone rolled away, and up from the grave he arose. Satan never in his wildest dream could imagine a resurrection. So when God raised his son from the dead, Jesus, victorious, Satan had lost. The chessboard again. Satan made his ultimate move. Check. I've killed you. I finally killed him. He's on the cross. But on Sunday morning, God said, checkmate. He's alive forevermore. So it started in Genesis 3.15, cut through all the New Testament, all, uh, the Old Testament, all the way to the New Testament, to Jesus' death on the cross. He was the fulfillment of what God promised in Genesis 3.15. Now, I don't have time to even talk about the Tower of Babel tonight. And I wish I'd have saved some time for that. You've been very patient. Anybody have a thought or question? I mean, I've kind of rattled on, and you're sitting there like you're, you know. Somebody, go ahead. Yeah. The giants. That's the word for the giants, yeah. Yeah, that, the word means giant. All right, now let me ask you, have you heard these two ideas? This, the sons of God refers to the line of Seth. Sons of God refers to the fallen angels. Anybody heard that? Is this the first time you've heard that? Yeah. So I believe it had to do with the fallen angels and the mongrel of mongrel race of people where Satan was trying to pollute the race so that God couldn't send a Messiah. No, I think that I think Cain and his family, they'd gone out to live in the land of Nod, and that was let me get back over so I can still be seen here. Um, I, no, I don't think they were part of that fallen uh, mongrel race. So that was that happened after Cain. Now an interesting question here uh, who was Methuselah man who lived long 969 years he was descended of, of, of Noah I, I, I mean of Enoch of Enoch yeah so but here's my question Methuselah the name Methuselah said, means this the word itself means when he is gone, it will come. So Enoch named his son Methuselah. Enoch was a preacher of righteousness, and he knew the flood was coming. And the day, at least the very year, maybe the very day that Methuselah died is when the flood started. 
Um, so anyway, I've gone way over my time limit. I apologize for that. Anybody else have a question, thought, comment, observation? They were the only ones. Because that's why God left the ark open for seven more days so that anybody could have come and got on the ark. Nobody wanted to. Nobody believed what Noah was saying. They were the only believers in that day. Noah had three sons, and then they had three wives. Each had a wife, so they were, there were eight people on the ark. Noah, his wife. No, they have just had three sons. Has anybody been to the ark in, uh, in Kentucky? Uh, I haven't been, plan to go sometime soon, this fall maybe. I've been to the Creation Museum, fabulous place. When I was at the Creation Museum, the ark was still under construction. So I'm looking forward to getting to go back to the ark and see all of that. We could stay here another hour, but I promise you I won't do that. <laughs> but anyway, I will be back, Lord willing, next Wednesday. I thought that this would be my last Wednesday, but as it's turned out through the schedule and all of that, uh, your leadership asked me if I would come Wednesday a week from tonight too so I will be here we'll have at least one more time together and I want to talk about the Tower of Babel still remember the checkmate thing something happens with the Tower of Babel that is absolutely important for you to know Genesis 3.15 all through Genesis 11 uh, you have, see how Genesis 11 the Tower of Babel is tied back to Genesis 3.15. All right. Well, I'm going to hush before I blow a fuse and Facebook hangs up on me. All right. Thank you for being here tonight. Be back Sunday, Lord willing. I'll be here Sunday to bring a message that I hope will be a blessing to you. I'm excited about being back in the Lord's house this coming Lord's Day. Come in and invite somebody here to be with you, somebody in the neighborhood, somebody you know, to be in the service Sunday morning. All right, let's have a closing prayer, and we will be adjourned. Thank you, dear Lord, for your word and for the testimony of your spirit. And Lord, as we look back into the pages of the Old Testament and see time after time after time where you kept your word, it convinces us today, Lord, that you will keep your word. Father, help us to be students of the word, but not to be hearers only, but to be doers of the word. Lord, bring us back this coming Lord's Day with our hearts and minds open to hear from you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you.